Welcome to Bleed TV, the podcast for the fans of the best shows on TV. And I'm Zach. And I'm Jake. And tonight we're talking about Game of Thrones. This is episode 506, um, titled um, Unbend, Unbroken. What was it called again? I didn't write it down. Now I think about it. Unbent, Unbowed, Unbroken. That's it. Exactly. Um, That's well, the Dornish words. Dornish words. Okay. Well, that makes more sense now. Um what do you think, bro? Go ahead and hit me with what you got. I mean, I really liked it. I mean, it's a tough way to end the episode, obviously, um, with the Sansa stuff. But a lot of a lot more plot movement. You know, you see some pretty big epic moments in King's Landing, and you know, Jorah and Tyrion get a little movement, and you know, all around, I pretty much enjoyed it. There's a couple little things I have a problem with. Kind of a reminder of the last time we saw the. Sand snakes, for instance, um, but all around, I'm loving it, man. I think this season has just had a like a really nice stride that it's hit. You know, every episode is just very solid. You know, maybe no like standout amazing episodes like that you normally say for an eight, nine, ten, but so far, I mean, I've not been disappointed in much at all. Well, bro, I'm gonna have to go against you on this one. Um, I was disappointed with last night i uh, i thought this had the largest volume of poor acting poor writing um and kind of a conclusion to me that the season has only got one goal and that's shock factor and um let's see how horrible we can go or make as negative for every character story because, uh, you know, I've been teetering on this thought, but I've been enjoying the show so much because I'm such a good fan. Uh, but last night was just kind of like a slap in the face to me. Um, I just, you know, there were, don't get me wrong, there were some good scenes and some good parts, but the majority of it felt rushed, felt like it was nothing like the development in the previous part of the season or especially in the first, you know, four seasons. Um, so we're probably gonna have some differing opinions a lot of this episode. So That's fine. this ought to be interesting. Um, well, the uh, director was uh, Podeswa, and the writer was Cogman again, same as last time. Um, you know, like I just said, I think uh, this was a little bit different than last episode. Um, but uh, I think we can go right into the rundown and just kind of get going with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the beginning of the show goes back to Arya. She's uh, washing a body. Uh, very carefully cleaning it well and um, I think you know she can definitely tell she's curious about the door and where it goes and the guy kind of leaves it cracked open and you're thinking there it is there's my opportunity come to the door and then boom slam right in the face uh, homegirl you know denies her and they go through this little dialogue I ain't scrubbing another corpse until you tell me what's going on um, and then this was one of the parts I really enjoyed. Of course, it was the first minute or two. Um, she gives her this story um, about how she was a lord's daughter, and yep. um, you know that a stepmama came into play, and and the whole nine yards. And, and then she used the faceless men to handle her problem, and she's been serving them ever since. I was sold, hook, line, sinker. And then she goes, "Was I telling the truth?" Yeah. Lying. Yeah. and i was like oh hell yeah that this <laughs> is this is a start of a great episode yeah this is kind of where you get to get you could see aria her storyline progress more you know in the books she's i don't think she's as 
you know, hard up. You know, she kind of just does what she's told mainly. I mean, she has a little resistance, but you know, the the waif chick uh, telling that story that's that's created. You know, that's all new. So good writing on their part. New material there, huh? Yeah. Um, well, then kudos to that. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, she has a backstory in the in the books, but she's also she looks young, but she's really old uh, in the books. It's, it's not really explained very well. You know what her role is, other than kind of like the overseer you know like the maintenance basically but um i mean she plays a pretty good size role in the books and i'm I'm glad to see her still having a part in the show yeah yeah i i, I thought it was great like i said the first couple minutes and they go ahead and hit you something and just kind of throw it throws you off hook you know i just i really enjoyed it uh it goes right into uh jack nagar you know challenger you know who are you who are you and as she's telling her story, every time she lies, she gets you know hit with that. Uh, what well, it looks like a jockey's uh, yeah, it's whip. like a horse whip. Yeah, yeah horse whip. You know, um, swatting her pretty good. Tell me, I don't understand why she was lying to him. Was that on purpose to see if he would swat, or what? What was yeah, the point? She see what the wife was doing was playing the game of faces. That's what they keep talking about, which is basically you tell a story and. You try to make it impossible to tell whether you're lying or telling the truth. Okay, so when he comes in there and he's asking questions, he wants her to tell a story and be... I got you. And, but the thing of it is, is, and you don't really know how, either he's just a extreme lie detector or he knows things. You know what I mean? Yeah. But did you notice the part where he really whipped her ass was when she talked about leaving the hound for dead because she hated him? Yeah. And he starts whipping the hell out of her. And she's saying that's not a lie. So that's a really cool little thing where they're talking about you didn't hate the hound. You know, oh, you yeah, took him off the list. Spot for him. Yeah, you yeah. Know, she just don't want to admit it because that would look down upon what she would she, seem her weak. ultimate goal is. Right, she would seem weak. So, so. Uh, that's a weakness. That's why he's probably whipping that ass. Uh, but yeah, it's I'm, not. I'm all for it. I don't think he's upset that it was a weakness in the moment of not killing the hound. He's just upset that she can't lie yet. You know, she's not ready yet. Right. That, that totally makes sense now that you put it in that context. Right. Um, Jorah looking at his wrist again. I'm over there getting ready to throw up in my cup, you know, uh, matter in hell. And it's them at uh, the beach, you know. different. Looks like a different beach. Looks like they're kind of more of a wooded area, closer to a different area. Yeah, anyway, like they're down. talking, and you, as you'll enjoy, don't you ever shut up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but then it leads to another good dialogue where um, uh, it kind of finds out that, you know, I'll be honest with you. You know, if you're a fan, you call me a dumbass, loser, you don't pay attention, whatever. Never put Jorah with the, the leader of the of the Crows as his dad. I never, it just never crossed my mind that those were together. And so, of course, he finds out his dad was killed by his own men. And there was kind of a big unraveling there. And uh, it, it was kind of like, wow, you know, that's kind of a uh, somebody who's never really seen in Westeros really a whole lot and somebody's with the Knights uh, you know the Knights Watch are actually connected in some way that was kind of a unique way of connecting those two and of course you find like I said he was killed by his own man and it was tough and he's like well we gotta keep moving you know yeah I mean I thought this was a really well written scene I mean I really like how they kind of put it in there and for all you people that didn't remember about Lord Commander Mormont and I mean they had a really good previously on you know you know almost solely about him you know and uh 
And you know, in the first season when John gets up there, he talks about his son being uh, like a family disgrace, you know, for being a slavier and, you know, being sad. And if you remember, John's sword is was meant for Jorah. It was a bear, you know what I mean, on the end of it. But when it was burned, he turned it into a wolf's head. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, you kind of get like a, a father-son replacement with Mormont and John at that time. And you kind of see Jorah, you know, disgraced, you know. Huh. Well, see, exactly. you know, I'm learning more and more here, but... Uh, that's a cool connection. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah, I really do. Yeah, they talk about how it's the name of the sword is Longclaw, and it's kind of a, a little running joke that was because Longclaw for a, it was a bear sword, but he was like, "Well, wolves have lost claws too, so you can keep the name." <laughs> yeah, you know, so. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Um, goes right to Arya, scrubbing the floor again. Goes right back to her, um, and uh, a guy brings in a, a girl or a woman, what do you want to call it? And you can tell she's suffering. And he walks over to her and says, please do something. I spent every penny I have taking her everywhere to end her pain and suffering. And I just can't do no more. And uh, Arya kind of stumbles a little bit, but she gets it over there and goes over and sees her. And uh, just as like Jack does, you know. And uh, I really like the little story. Um, what's the actress name? Macy? Is that her pronunciation? Macy Williams. I really, really, really enjoyed how she did this little part where she was talking to her about, you know, uh, this is going to, you know, cure your ails and, you know, we're going to find, you're going to come away from this. And, uh, you know, it gave some connection to who she was, even though she was lying most of it. It was a really good thing, you know. And of course, Jack's right behind her watching her, gives That's her the a- cup and, uh, you know, ends her, uh, ends her suffering. Uh, I thought it was another, I like this part, well written. Like I said, the very beginning of this episode, came out swinging um and then you know later on it let me, tornadoes let me but. ask you did you think it was possible that the father was jacking and then the, the the daughter was the wife and they were just testing her at first I, it, it didn't turn I didn't out get that, that way vibe. i didn't okay. get that vibe at all i okay. thought it was just a random situation i knew somebody would be watching I kind of felt like that was oh, going to happen no matter what that there was no point to the scene unless somebody sees her action and so i knew that was going to happen but uh, that never crossed my mind, which can make total sense. Yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, as good as they, you know, the way they do their stuff. So yeah, I I like that. Um, then of course, he, you know, he, uh, <laughs> I guess he leaves the door open for her this time, and mm-hmm. Arya decides to follow. And of course, they go down there, and it's a long ass walk. <laughs> and, yeah. But then this room. Wow. How badass! I mean, How badass is this? I room? was blown away. It. It's that payoff we were missing for so long, how long it's taken to get this point. I mean, yeah. It's just like third episode. We've had Arya getting training, learning, da-da-da. And then finally, you get that quintessential. It's like getting the dessert after a great meal. Yeah. You know, there it is. That's what you've been looking for. You've been working your ass off, chewing that steak forever. And then finally, wow, there's that pecan pie. And it's just savoring. You know? And I mean, how about this room? I mean, it's like... 70 feet tall ceilings with oh columns and columns and columns, columns of faces. Like, you know, I mean, they're enormous. It, heads, it, yeah. it was, uh, and it's cool. You can see like where you, the faceless, you know, where they get all their, you know, their faces they use. So anybody you see is somebody who's died and they reuse them. And that's Absolutely. sort of looks like that's the perception I got out of it. Well, it's just like they say, all men must die and all men must serve. So even in death, 
you're serving the faceless God. Right. Okay, so oh, you're goes. serving his his servants. You know exactly. That was that was cool. Um, and then I really like this line. And I, I excuse me if I mess it up. I think you're not ready to be faceless, but you're ready to be something different. Is that right? No, he says you're not ready to be no one, but no. you're ready to be someone else. Someone else. Okay, I knew I had it messed up, but I was trying to write fast, uh, you know, my notes. But that was spot on, right? Know? And that tells me we're going to move forward with her. I guess the deadly assassin part of this. I would hope. Gosh, I would, you know, all well, we're just, doing is her changing who she is. We're not doing any of the, you know, when I think of assassin, I'm thinking of like he's got skills instead of just being not seen. You know, right? What what I gather he's talking about is it, she's not ready to get a face yet. But she is ready to go out and pretend to be someone else, you know, because who knows her around here? You know what I mean? She could easily train in this area. No one would know who she are. They could change the way she looks and her clothes. And, you know, she has to learn all the all the lying and, you know, using all those other, you know, abilities that she wouldn't think she would need to. Right. Uh, it moves right in back to back to Jor. These two kind of go flip flop, flip flop. Jor and Tyrion uh, walking across a cliff edge. Beautiful scenery, loved mm-hmm. it. And they talk about being a cynic, and uh, uh, you know, Tyrion asks him the question. You know, so what happens? You know, say she does take the Iron Throne. What then? You know, well he rules, and you know, and he and so he's like, well I don't see the point. And, and so then he hits him with the story of Daenerys and her situation of. Uh, well, you know, I saw a woman walk into a fire with three eggs and come out unscathed with three baby dragons. Right then, I knew, you know, it's tough to be a cynic then. And uh, what do you what do you think about Tyrion saying Targaryens are known to be crazy, you know, or mad? And you know, based on her father, she could easily be just as mad as he is. You mean, do I think that that has a chance? Of happening? Well, just look at the last episode where she pushes somebody into a, the flames of a dragon. And she was just told by Barristan about how much her father loved burning people. And he thought ruling by that fear was, you know, the best route. And he loved it. He got, got joy in burning well, you know, the way this show is going, everybody turns dark or gets sad or, you know, the shit hits the fan, whatever you want to call it. So I think it's definitely possible, um, but I don't think anybody wants it to happen. I mean, I think she was playing on emotion, not who she is. I think she did the whole deal with the dragon, pushing the guy and toasting him and making a solution because sandy said you know these are things you've got to do you see the light of what has to happen and different things you listen to everyone else's advice do what you know is right because that's the reason where you are today and i think she did that but part of that was the emotion of that she's lost one of her dear friends uh another one's hurt you know the rest you know she's just exiled another one so i mean i think she's playing she's making decisions like, like you always say don't don't make a decision when you're angry well she did and some boy got torched and eaten for it yeah, no, I could see that, and, and I'm not, I'm not even suggesting that they're going to go that way. I don't know. I just thought it was a kind of a cool. I'm glad that somebody said it in the show, right? Like, I mean, because you saw her brother. Her brother was a piece of shit. You know that would have gotten much joy out of killing people. Yeah, there's an example of somebody who was a piece of crap 
that deserve to die and died a glorious death for my you know, oh, entertainment. The golden crown. Exactly. Yeah. Some other jokers need to have the same treatment real soon because <laughs> this is getting old. Anyway, so they come around the corner of a rock and they see a ship bark and they realize, oh crap, slave ship. And then boom, there's a group of guys staring them down. The the leader of the pirates, the group here. Who is uh, that guy? Oh, he's in so much TV and shows. I've he's seen. He's got him. a really unique name. It's it's uh, it's foreign ethnic. You know, I couldn't tell you, but he's been in tons of things. I thought um, so. But oh my gosh! I mean, <laughs> slit his throat, cut off his cock. <laughs> yes, I mean they went from one end of the boat to the other. Let's take the dwarf's penis and you know cut him off. And Tyrion's like, "Well, how would you know it's not a one?" You know, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It's <laughs> another dwarf-sized. example where Tyrion is seconds from a blade of killing him, and he finds a way to talk out of it. You know, he lives uh, till we find a cock merchant. Yeah, cock merchant. I mean, give me a break, really. Uh, uh. Whatever, but I mean, it was a little bit of comedy of the episode. Um, I thought that was—I thought it was pretty good. Um, and then, of course, he comes up with a cool little line, you know, lie that Jor is a master fighter and uh, basically saves his skin too, you know. And well, it saves him from a life of slavery, right? Because it looked like he was going to make Jor like a, a Roman under the boat, you know. Well, they talked about the salt mines and. In the books, that's a place where they send like unruly slaves, like ones that don't take orders too well, and that is like a living hell. It's like the worst place in the world that you would ever want to be. You work from, you never sleep, you just work, and they just work you until you die, and it's it's brutal, brutal bad. So we don't want that. Not yeah. from a man, Jorah. <laughs> well, you know, he's pretty much dead anyway. Shut up. Oh, I'm going to kill you. Uh, all right. So, Baelish is rolling through King's Landing, and Lancel pops right up and surrounds him. And, uh, you know, gives him a, what I wouldn't call a real friendly welcome back. Um, no. Uh, it's like, uh, welcome to the new King's Landing. Things are different. You know, people who peddle flesh, you know, aren't well regarded. Baelish doesn't blink, you know. He looks at him and goes, well, you know, I have a meeting with the, Queen the king's mother. mother or queen's mother and uh you know should i tell her we're gonna be late you know lancel has kind of steps aside and lets him roll you know what uh just just kind of letting them know who's in charge now or what, what do you think i don't know yet you know i i still feel like cersei could dig herself in a hole you know arming these people but i i look at it like I f- I f- if you listen to the the Sparrow originally, the High Sparrow, he talked about how maybe the use of the blade was a little too much. You know what I mean? When they marched the guy naked through the streets. So I can't tell if all of his people aren't slightly vigilante, you know? Like they they take his orders and stuff like that, no problem. But maybe they do a little thing on their own too. Right. Um, I think this is a ticking time bomb. I think Cersei has unleashed, not Pandora's box, but something that is uncontrollable to anyone without major action, uh, you know, of a larger force. I think, I think she set herself up for a, because uh, uh, she, I think she's got some sins attached to her, and I oh, think no it's going to bite her in their own ass, you know. And the thing of it is, it's like, as soon as Tommen grows a pair between his legs, 
just unleash those swords. These dudes got little rubber hammers. Oh man, don't 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 get me started on Tomlin. I would be oh. unleashing the hounds on these dudes. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, 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 uh. anyway. Baelish ends up talking to Cersei, you know, and they're you know they're talking about how I've done this, I've done that, and how things have changed. And uh, he apologizes for not finding Arya as promised, but he's got something just as good, Sansa. And, um, you know, showing his colors, his real feathers, as you say. And, I, you know, I wasn't expecting this part. I didn't I didn't see him coming back to King's Landing to play Cersei's bitch. Um, it, it, it put a negative tone. You know, I know you never know what Baelish's intentions are and what he's really trying to play to and different things. And you can never believe anything where he's going because as soon as he does, two steps later, he's doing something different, in my opinion. Um you know, but I guess now he wants to be the warden of the north, and so on. I don't know where he goes from here. Um, you know, Cersei kind of clutches him. Well, if you do this, then I'll know you're loyal, and we'll see from there. Uh, is this is this following the book the way he? I mean, he's making. There's no such thing as a straight line with him. It's left, right, right, left. I mean, to get to anywhere. Okay. Well, first off, none of this is in the book because we're beyond Sansa's chapters at this point. I have no idea. Um, but what I will say is, if you remember his chaos speech to Varys back in the day, where it's it's not a pit, it's a ladder. Okay, that's what he does. He just sows discourse everywhere he can. He lets it's kind of like he's wanting to do. He wants Stannis and Roose to fight each other, you know, wear each other out, and no matter who wins, they'll still be hurt you know, in, in a weaker state to bring in his people and then fight while they're down and win. You know what I mean? So he's just playing to get better odds for himself. And you got to understand, he's already a warden of the East. So if he becomes a warden of the North, he'll be the most powerful man in Westeros. I can see that. Well, I mean, he's got a good point. I mean, he's got good fighters of the veil. But anyway, the whole deal is, is that Stennis threatens what he wants. You know, the Ramsey and the Boltons all like that are no good to have around for what he wants, and they will never relinquish. And so by putting Cersei into that mix, yes, that's great. Uh, if the Boltons should stay and win, he's made an ally there, and so he can still have some. So he's putting himself in a position where he's a winner no matter what happens unless Stennis wins. No, even if Stennis wins, he has Sansa. Okay, and if Sansa goes to Stannis and says, "I'm only here, I'm only alive because Baelish helped me and saved me, and I want him at my side," you know, whatever the case may be, he has an ally no matter what. Yeah, so he comes out smelling like roses either way. Absolutely, and and all you got to do is, okay, so the Boltons win, just come on back to Winterfell, tell him what Cersei's doing. You know, you've still got an ally. You know what I mean? It's just, he won't be a word in the North, but you get the biggest ally, the most powerful ally. Right. You know? That's very true. I mean, I think it's it's genius. Uh, and so, uh, the old finger. He's yeah, impressive. I'm telling you. He's I'm impressive. Telling you. Um, goes to Dorne, and you see um, Cersei's daughter. What's what's her name? Um, Marcella. Marcella. And I guess this is the young prince. I didn't catch his name. Quentin. Um, he uh, he's making some moves on her, you know. Is it Quentin? Uh, There's two boys. 
any way it goes. My homeboys, you know, we're we're hitting and we're on first base quick. You know, he's making the moves. Yeah. Uh, you know, bringing her over there, kissing, making it, you know. Glad that there's a casting change to up the age <laughs> on this one. Um, very pretty girl. Um, but if they were stuck with her age, this could have been super creepy. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, the leader of Dorn, you know, Oberon's brother Dorn. and her, his big axe-wielding bodyguard are watching over. Ario Hota. And uh, he tells him, I hope you're still going to know how to use that big old axe because uh, we need to protect the girl and, uh, you know, don't do anything else. Uh, and he's, you know, he kind of gives him the nudge like, oh, yeah, you know. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm like, hell, yeah. Uh, I want to see the big fella do some stuff. Uh, so yeah, I was I was looking into that. So then it goes right to Jamie and Braun, and they're uh, they're riding in and, and dressed as the guys they slaughtered, yeah. uh, <laughs> and singing and serenading, and you know it, it was when they two together, it's just good stuff. Here you find the third song of the SOS Westeros, wherever you want to be. There's uh, the Reigns of Castamere, Bear the Maiden Fair, and the Dornish song. Okay, that's, that's you hear those three songs. That's it. <laughs> Unreal. Um, of course, you know you see them find a little trail of merchants or people going to Dorne, and right. they just kind of mingling with them. Thought this was a little weak, but understandable. They just kind of ride in behind them. Nobody's going to question people dressed that way. But hey, no big deal. I moved on with it. Um, and then this is when the episode takes a dive to me. We see the sand snakes come back into play, start making vows to Oberyn's mistress, and these little pissant actresses, you know, nothing against them personally, but I think this is a complete misfire. Um, this is, they start vowing and doing that and talking about how we got to make our move, and um, it just, uh, I was... Like I said, I, I, I'm with you on this completely. Um, it sucks because I love Braun. I love Braun's choreography and his fighting and how he talks to him and, you know, he slaps the shit out of Martell. And I love all that. It's just these women that are playing the Sand Snakes, I, they just can't carry the role. They're no, not they intimidating. I mean, you, you hear when they're fighting. Uh, uh, I mean, it's just there's nothing quintessential badass. There's nothing that makes them. They look tiny. There's no I mean, intimidation. Yeah, in I mean, the, the mistress is tall, dark intimidating scary you know you you can see that she has you know snake in her and bada the three girls it's like i'll fight fight." it's like it's like you know sand snake power rangers it's pitiful and then like you said the the bronze awesome love way fights jamie is a wussy right now one hand whatever he just can't do much and all they do is they outnumber both of them. So at one point, there was three on just Braun. And one attacks while the other two watch. He fends that one off. And the next one attacks, fends out. It's like watching an early 80s action movie. One guy surrounded by five, and he just takes one at a time. One at a time. One at a time. Yeah, because my thing is, what does the whip chick do? She's incapable of killing anyone without a partner. Because all she was doing was whipping arms and holding him in place, hoping that the... Uh, dagger chick would come stick him i know it spear chick 
who can spear a head from 20 feet away. She just goes and grabs a little girl. Yeah, she goes and grabs a girl. And then when she does get into a fight, she does nothing with it. It was, it was by far where it just killed the episode. Yeah, one-handed Jamie was able to fend her off. Not yeah. not too difficultly. No. And his battle at the dunes, you know, with that one guy who got oh, off the horse was way more. 20 times more, you know, aggressive and life-threatening and this and that. And the supposed badass sand snakes, everybody's here and talking about like that. It was quabbling. It was awful. You know? Yeah. And, I, and then it was so quick. They get right in there. You know, this place looks huge, magic. And they come in and they immediately find the girl and the guy. And then they immediately get attacked by sand snakes at the exact same time. And then right after that, the bodyguard happens to show right It's just very poor writing in my mind. I think it was rushed. Too much coincidence. I mean, what about Braun and Jamie going into the city and looking around and making a plan to find her? Not just stumbling upon her right when you walk through the doors. Well, they did say that. I mean, they were, he was talking about, I like to improvise. But, you know, just so happens that she's in the water gardens and they walk in and luckily there they are, you know. Exactly. I mean, that's just, it was weak. It was yeah. weak. I mean, I think about like seasons two, three, and we have these big battles and how there's so much buildup and so much playing and so much getting allies before you even actually get to the meat and potatoes. And they stroll in and find her in less than 30 seconds. And in that same 30 seconds, you see three little pissant snatch steaks run from their little mistress mommy out the gates and run right into them. I mean, what are the odds? Yeah, and, and to be honest, due to that, I'm more excited on this plot line for the conversations from Doran and Jamie and uh, Braun and Arya. Like, maybe they'll have some interactions or something like that. But I'm looking forward more now to, to conversation and dialogue rather than the action, which is silly. I would normally opposite every time. It's backwards. But, but I don't want to see the Sand Snakes. Yeah, I could I mean, care less. Really, it, this was... This was a complete misfire and a black eye on a season that I really, you know, somewhat enjoyed until this kind of episode turned me sour. Um, so this was this was a big miss, uh, you know. Hotep comes out there and puts the axe against Jamie's throat, and then, oh, if you were a whole, what a fight it would be, you know. And I, I like that line and so on, but he doesn't. He's not enough to save the scene just before it. No, and it's too convenient. It's just way too convenient. Everything was rushed. There was no setup. There was no nothing. There was no alarm. There was no anything that showed there was a clue that something was going to happen. There was no development. I do have a fear. And it's just because I love Braun. He's maybe my favorite character. She cut him with a damn knife. And these people are known for poisoning their blades. I am truly worried that Braun's poisoned now. And I don't want to see Braun die boring in a bed. Well, you know, you, you might as well get ready because anything you don't want to happen, usually what does and what you do want to happen doesn't happen. And uh, that's kind of the theme the show is going to. And I'll elaborate more on that later. Um, but, you know, like, you, you know the part, another thing I do this is that when they all got captured, you know, like, put your weapons down, put your weapon down, put your weapons down. They said like four times. You know, Braun drops it and he's laughing and giggling and 
you know, James does it like that. And then when they're getting round, rounded up, he's over there smiling. And get, I mean, like, there's no fear. There's no terror. There's nothing that... It was just... There was nothing realistic in comparison to how the show has been ran. And so... I don't know. I think you're being a little bit hard on it just because you're sour tasted by the Sand Snakes. Well, I, I, Everything other than them, I was fine with. Uh, I don't know. I might watch it again, but no, I won't. It, it was that bad to me. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not going there. Um, and then uh, Marjorie's grandmother <laughs> in a stagecoach strolling up into King's Landing, and she opens the door, and <laughs> I love this line. She's like, oh, you smell shit five miles away. You know? <laughs> uh, I was just like, this, this, this is one of my faves characters. You know, I mean, no, there's no action or anything else. Um, but it, it's just her entire dialogue is, is money in the bank. Um, you know, and so she, she makes it down there and uh, starts talking to Cersei. And these are just two bad to the bone women that are having a, you know, basically like a pissing match. A of, verbal battle. Yeah. You know, like you could stop writing. You're not writing about anything. You can, yeah, you know, we, I mean, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'll forget this insulting conversation and, you know, and they, and they, they, they shoot their weapons across each other's bow of, you know, well, you know, I'll, I'll take the money away and, oh, do you want to be the leader of the reason we have war again? And, you know, it was, it was good back and forth. I, I like that. Uh, out of those two, who has the upper hand in that conversation? Uh, to be honest, I really am surprised that Cersei even equaled Elena you know they even brought up her nickname the Queen of Thorns and stuff I mean people know about her prickly witty nature and she's very intelligent and I don't know to me I still think the Tyrells have the upper hand with all the money because you know the Lancers are in debt you got they have the troops and they have all the food so I mean they really could just ease off and back off what they're bringing into the table and shit, King's Landing could starve. I'm know? with you. You take away the the power of what makes the kingdom. You take away what makes that. They're useless. And now it's being ran by the, uh, you know the militants there, or the sparrows, or like that. They're they're they're. I think they have no you know nothing to stand on anymore. They're just a name, and that's not going to get you anywhere. And. Uh, I, I was kind of surprised by that, you know, that she even backed down from that. Um, I think it's I think it's more about that she really cares about her grandchildren. She really cares about Marjorie. She really cares about Loras. You don't want to wake too many waves that could affect their lives. You know, she's just playing it smart, I think, to try to make sure... Well, she's not going to make a move until she sees what actually happens. There's no point in throwing your hand out there until you actually know if you have to make it. Right, and then when Cersei brings up the little little hearing, you know, the, the oh, it's just a simple hearing, you know, no big deal. They just want to have, ask some questions. I can see where you'd think, okay, we can deal with this, you know. Well, you got to give her that chance to follow through with her word. Absolutely. So, and you see the surprise on her face when it goes down in the hearing, you know. Oh, I knew it was a setup from the get-go. That's another part that ruined me. The next part, when they do this trial thing... You know, when he questioned, yeah, no, absolutely, I've never done that, blah, blah, blah. I said, I know exactly where this is going. 
I was looking at my wife, and I was sitting there, I was like, this is a whole setup. They're going to bring somebody in at the end to rebuttal everything, and I know it's going to be that. What's this, Arnold? Is that his name? Oliver. Oliver, yeah. Um, I said, got money. He shows up. And, of course, there he is, you know. And didn't expect the queen to get wrapped into it, but as soon as I, they said made her testify, I was like, this was genius. This is a way to get her off the throne. But another example where it was too convenient. It was too fast. It was too too easy I, I you know I, I don't know it just it was predictable quick not typical game of thrones i will say it was predictable um i felt like there was a reason why oliver was untouched and left alone even though they were running around stabbing you know gay men and clearing out the horse houses and stuff like that so I'm I'm assuming they have a deal with Oliver and you know well, keeping no him safe. He had no fear, right? But I'm but I'm saying it was a little bit too easy to spot what was coming. It was predictable. I will admit that. Um, but you know I don't want them to keep playing it out any further than it has to because then it'll just be a a boring storyline, you know. And this is pretty much how it goes down in the books. You know, it's kind of like this. Um, where Cersei's kind of manipulating the faith to, well, I mean, was for that fast? I mean, this was like a flash in the pan. I mean, and it's over. Yeah, kinda. I mean, it's some of it is. I'll you know we'll go over that a little bit in the spoiler section, but it's actually a little more like you know Cersei thinking she's real smart and moving these pawns around to you know to create these you know deferring stories that get Marjorie in trouble and Loris in trouble and things like that. So it's actually, I think just smoothing it out, streamlining it. It's probably better in the show than it was in the book because yeah. in the, in the book you're going to need shit like five more characters, you know, to make it all go. And you just, we don't need more characters. We need the characters we know to have plot and that's it. You know, right? I'll give you that. Um, like you said, you know, they bring in Oliver, they take the queen, Tomlin's puss to raise his hand like he's going to, you know, and prevents his guards from going over and grabbing the queen. Um, is this just him inexperienced, not knowing, or is this all, is he a part of this all? I mean, no, he's just a sweet kid and he just like the first time he doesn't want to shed blood in, you know, the Sept of Baylor. I mean, he's just trying not to kill religious people you know uh he's i mean he's just nice naive. he's too nice yeah in naive fashion so and, and to be honest with you what would people think if they step out and it's just pools of blood and nothing but dead sparrows everywhere you know if he's worried about his reputation i can see that a little bit you know you know, because that could easily have people turn on you. He already has people turning on him. Don't make it worse, type of deal. But mainly, I think he's just. I'm sorry, you could tell your two guards un make sure that they unhand my wife, you or know, they lose. Don't their arms. kill them. But you can go. I mean, like you said, they got little sticks. Yeah. I mean, they can go over and beat the crap out of them and say, "Look, we're not going to kill you, but you're going to let go of her." I would chop the hands off of every hand that touched her. Yeah, I mean, give me a break. This is the guy who's like every hour, every day, you know? I'm like, and you're just letting her go to the shackles and the prison? Another part that bothered me. 
you know, I understand what you're saying, and I, I can follow that, and I can agree that he's naive, young, doesn't want to see violence, wants to – thinks this is part of maintaining a positive reputation. Um, but I'm sorry. You know, there's, there's a part of you where you have ultimate authority, as he does, and this is your wife – no, you're not going to have some dude in dirty robes who calls himself a sparrow to tell you that send him to prison. You know, I, I just don't get that. Especially after you've gone to talk to the person and they denied you at, at the steps and you don't do anything about it. I mean, it's, that's two insults in a row to me. You yeah, I, think, I just think he's meek. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have those cojones yet to just unleash holy terror, you know. Yeah, I just—it's just another part of the episode I, did, I didn't really care for. Like I said it was fast. It was just uh, not me. Um, moves back over to Winterfell. We see Sansa, and she's visited by visited by Miranda, right? The mm-hmm. you know Ramsey's little you know toy, you, know, you want yeah. to call her. Um, you know, he says, "Well, it's time to bathe you." You know, and he lets you know you will be clean for your future husband and. Which is creepy. Um, anyway, so they're bathing her, and they really accentuate the whole part, like they did with Arya, of the cleaning of the hair and watching the water drop into a pan. And it looked like there was something in the pan, like it was—I don't know—was it? Those are hair dyes. They are dying, right? Yeah, because yeah. her hair was bright red when she came to her wedding. Right, and it was black when she came to Winterfell. And uh, I thought that was, uh, you know, they really signified that point. And then she talks about, you know, the first girls and how they didn't make it and if they're boring and what happens to them. And I took them to hunt. And yeah. then I did the line where, you know, have you ever seen what happens to a woman's flesh when the dogs get after it? And um, I did enjoy the part where Sansa turns around and says, if you're trying, you know, you're, not, you're trying to scare me, you're wasting your time, basically. And how long have you loved him? Yeah, you know, and calls her out. Yeah, I guess I ruined this for you, and yeah, and it's cool because there's a there's a callback for book readers on this where they talk about the the past girls, and what you realize is that he actually all those dogs, his prized dogs, you know, that he hunts with, he names his dogs after the girls that give him the best hunt. Okay, the least boring. <laughs> That's wow. Like, that's good. So, you know, he has a dog named Tansy and, you know, all those other girls. There's dogs named after him. That's kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I It's like sick. That. It's super sick. You know, because you saw one. You saw one get chased through the woods and you see what happens to him. Yeah. And in the books, he rapes them, lets the dogs get after him and hunts them and it's brutal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the rest of it in a minute. Um, and it flashes to her. She's all dressed up in this really unique kind of not white, kind of off white, kind of gray. Yeah, gray. Stark colors are gray. It's so. a very decorative outfit. You can definitely tell. She's pacing the window, and Theon, clean hair, taken strangely care of, clean, um, comes to the door to escort her, and she busts his chops like you know, not holding that arm. Touch you? You ain't gonna touch <laughs> me? You know. Um, I'll be punished and she's like you think I give a shit you know yeah, I yeah. mean and right by him she goes um, down to the sacred tree there to do a little uh, wedding um, and Roos Bolton uh, well presides done. over it I was just can anybody pres- you know preside over a wedding at this time or do you have to be of royalty I mean, what does the book say anything about that no just as long as you're the 
the father of the groom, and plus he's the warden of the north. So I guess he has that power. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Uh, it's a very um, unique wedding. Um, you know, do you, do you, you know, who t- lets this woman go? And then there's this huge, long pause you know when she's asked the question will you yeah you know and the whole time miranda's over there just killing her with her eyes and staring her down and uh, she steps forward and says yes you know i was and how about man alfie allen who plays theon he just he crushes it on a daily basis man that when he talks about you know past ward of edard stark you know just like, and you could tell it like he chokes up just remembering that this was really the only true family he had, you know, and yeah, and he's betrayed and, all of that, right? All the regret, shaftless puppet, yeah, just all the regret and horror he's gone through now, you know, it's just like, man, you, you really you hate Theon for so long, and then you see this, and it's like, this is where the the real pity kicks in, you know. It's going to take a lot more for me to change my tune on him. I know, but he never killed the boys. He did take Winterfell. He caused some really big problems. Um, but before that, you know, he betrayed uh, Betrayed Rob. Rob. I know. You know, I know. and uh, no, uh, he's got a lot of making up to do before he gets my vote. <laughs> Let me tell you. you know, he better, right now, he's hitting us with the little commercials, the info commercials. He's got to come over and shake my hand and kiss the baby before I change my name. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. No vote yet, huh? No, no vote in the, in the Sims house over here. I'm sorry, that ain't gonna happen. Um, the next part is she ends up back at the uh, her room, and uh, of course Ramsey walks in and Theon's there, uh, and he talks to her a little bit about you know, hey, you know, we don't need to be having lies and. Uh, you got to tell the truth. We're starting a marriage, and you know he's just super creepy. And you know, then Sansa's fighting it, and then of course he he you know, stuns her. Go ahead, and take your clothes off. You know, like this is the reason I'm up here. You know, it's time to do this. You know, yeah. she's telling the truth that she's a virgin, but he you know he's not accepting it. Um, and then he makes Theon say, you know, you stay, you watch. You know, you knew her as a little girl. Now know her as she becomes a woman. Yeah. Uh, this was this was tough. Um, uh, I was I was really really hoping that when you see the part where she turns and she starts undoing something on her wrist, I was like, oh yeah, she's going to pull a blade out. This prison shank, and we're going to have Ramsey's blood spewing out of his neck like his her mama's did. When it got sliced, and I'm gonna be jumping on the couch in excitement <laughs> and thrill. Instead, we get to watch Sansa, one of my favorite actresses on the show, does a great job. Uh, get exactly what I feared would happen. She's not ready to stand up to him. She's not ready for anything. This was too much, and she gets dealt with. You know, tears her clothes, bends her over, and proceeds to rape her, and makes Theon sit there and watch it. Um, they don't visually show it, you know. I remember, I remember back when Drago, you know, was pounding Danny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm talking pounding, and full visual, the whole nine yards. And here we get nothing but Theon, you know, crying, sniveling, shaking, 
and having to watch. You know, uh, and when I was reading some of the feedback, I got some different opinions on this. Uh, when I was watching, I was like, this scene was not about Sansa. This scene was about Theon having to watch because that's what they focused on. But then, you know, I was talking to my wife and everything like that. And they were like, no, the idea <coughs> of what you can hear instead of seeing was worse than Absol- seeing. Absolutely. Your imagination is worse. Right. And when I heard that, I was like, that's so true. Because it seemed a lot worse than when I remember Danny getting, you know. Oh, absolutely. I think there was way know, more emotion. In it this. was quite a bit different. And, uh, but even, even with all that, you know, and it makes you the emotion like that, I was tired of it. I'm tired of seeing nothing but negative, nothing but non redemptive stories every single time every part of this episode the crap hits the fan name one part of this episode bro that the crap didn't hit the fan for somebody Arya that's it maybe she got her she got whipped (laughs) you know and gets told that she's not ready but oh we can try something else but look at every character in this show they have to be brought to their lowest before they get a redemptive arc Almost all of them. All right. How many redemptive parts have we had so far for somebody who deserved it? Okay. Well, we mentioned one earlier. Viserys getting the golden crown. That was a good one. That was back in season one. <laughs> I think yeah, season, it was one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Try again. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's Jon Snow becomes Lord Commander. I mean, that's good. Okay. He becomes Lord Snow as he watches Egret take a... A, an arrow through the chest. Um, That's his own coming. fault. That's his own fault. Keep coming. I'm waiting. I'm just, but I mean, a lot of these characters haven't been brought low Still yet. Still waiting. <laughs> Still waiting. Okay, well, let's get to it then. Who's who's the good characters here? Like, who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? What what house here is doing something they shouldn't do? Okay. Um, Jon Snow... I consider I like a per I like him. I think he's a good guy. I think he's trying to do the right thing and so on. And he's having to play the cards dealt and do. But I think he's not making great decisions. But he could be at Winterfell. He doesn't choose that. He could be doing something. You know, he could be staying at Night's Watch. He's not doing that. But as he's leaving, I think it's a, I think it's a good decision. But it's not the decision I want to see him do. You know, as a viewer, you want him. to to do something uh, towards being redemptive. But he's making a choice. I'm okay with his storyline. Uh, I'm happy he's moving away from Castle Black and doing something different, and I'm excited about that. You know, I am. I think that's definitely one part of the show that every time I watch, we got good humor, great acting, the writing's on point, and it's going towards something that's productive for the show and something I want to see it come down the future. And so I give that all positives. Arya, like I said, we're finally getting our payoff. You know, uh, we're seeing that, she, you know, she's getting to see more and more. Get to, it looks like we're going to get to it. But it's taken four episodes of seeing her before we finally get to a singular room with faces in it, before we finally get something that's a little bit of a payoff. Yeah, it's great. I'm excited about it. Uh, but it's one bite of the pecan pie. It's not the whole pie. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I understand that you you're saying. To, I'll keep going. Uh, no, hold on, hold on. I'll just, I'll, let me explain further what I'm trying to say. Because what you're saying is that you're, you're, vote, you're pulling for Aria. But you're pulling for a, what, 13-year-old assassin? A little girl? Sounds you're, good to me. 
Yeah, I, I was a huge fan of Natalie Portman as an assassin and the professional. <laughs> so, uh, and that movie rocks. Okay, I'm just saying, like, we don't have any black and white characters. Joffrey was a was a black and white character. He was just plain old piece of shit, evil human being. Ramsey, that's a black and white character. You know you hate him, right? I know, but how many times do we have to see him being devilish and evil before we finally get to a point where we get the applause of he's dead and he just right like I go back to Joffrey. Joffrey kills Edark, kills all these people, embarrasses Tyrion, does all these awful things for multiple seasons. Four seasons. Okay, multiple. And when we finally get to the moment of his culmination of his death, none of the people that he had done wrong, embarrassed, who would enjoy his death more than anything and would make their viewer you know, soak it up that much more, had anything to do with his death. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't matter. You're you're the viewer. You had you had to enjoy the death. I know that. I, I enjoyed it. I watched him choking, and I enjoyed every second of it. And I was like, "Yes, what a great episode!" Da 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 da. But it, would you agree that it would have been better if it was somebody that he had done wrong and that got revenge? Well, I mean, in a way, Sansa had something to do with it, even unknowingly, no. she had something to do with it. But all right, what I'm saying is, is, even the people you think are possibly the bad characters, but consider the age we're in like the medieval times type age we're in are any of these family leaders doing the wrong thing by you know moving and shaking to get the best opportunities for their house no and that's the reason i like the show actually that's the reason i love the show is because i'm complaining that someone doesn't get to be redemptive or get revenge for something done wrong to them but on the other hand i love it that it's not stereotypical and follow the standard Hollywood line of somebody's done wrong, done wrong, wrong, and the movie's fantastic because he come back, save the day, kill the bad guy, and ride off into the sunset. This isn't a 60 spaghetti western, but what I am tired of is that we've had five seasons and not a single character, I take that back, one character, Tyrion, gets to shoot his father on the shitter, and it's an awesome scene because it's a guy who gets to take revenge from the ultimate let down of his life his own father and that right there is how you ended a season and then the reason people were applauding the end of it is because yeah he got to shoot the man who was like going to execute his own son and basically tells him you're no son of mine you killed your own you're the reason my wife's dead you know you're the embarrassment of the family da, da, da. boom that right there there's a that's that's why i love that part but four seasons the last episode the last shot of the four seasons we finally get one clue of that i think with five seasons you could sprinkle in a few more I'm not saying every sub episode and every character needs to have their you know their mission to redempt i mean rob stark he wants to become the king of the north he wants to avenge his father take the iron throne like that and i'm like oh, hell yeah and then you go to the red wedding i think it's one of the best episodes in the entire series is because completely unexpected to me. Wow. Brutal. Unbelievable betrayal and so on. And that's more realistic instead of the guy who gathers an entire nation, fights an ultimate power, wins, takes the throne. What? Where? Did, you know, just like in this episode, then what? There is no show after that because now you have somebody who's a good guy leading. So that's no show. So the conclusion of that is 
more entertaining that he gets betrayed. His wife gets stabbed with his pregnant Edart named baby in her tummy. And that's what well, made that episode fantastic. But, but I want you to... Just, we are beating, beating down, beating down, beating down, beating down every episode. There's got to be a little bit more to a little more light in the tunnel for some of these people, or at least sprinkle it in a little bit. But that's the thing too is, I mean, is that why you watch the show? Is it because you're looking forward to those moments? There is. I mean, you got to you have to admit you want to see people do something to avenge or see progression towards in a, a positive way or change something for the better. You know, I mean, we, you and I really enjoy Brienne. She's fighting for a noble cause and reason. She keeps hitting pitfall after pitfall, but she keeps doing it. And when she fights and does something and stabs my through the throat and has a great duel stuff, we're rooting for her. And it makes that part of her episode that much more appealing to watch because they give us those little sprinkles. I'm not asking for her to be nothing but a badass for the whole time. That's not the case. You know, it's just I think this episode has been nothing but beat down after beat down, negative story, and continuing the negative as they go, 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 go. There's been nothing really redemptive so far this season where every other season's had at least some or sprinkles here and there or one major. We hadn't had anything yet. And I, usually you should have something by now. And so I think that's the reason it's been getting a little bit less for me as it's going along. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, it's, I guess it's just, I mean, like anybody, it's an opinion thing. But the the grayer the character is, the more I enjoy him. Like, season one, you loathe Jamie Lannister. But now, it would be massive, massive you know, disappointment to see him. It'd die. be anarchy if he was killed. Right, the Hound. Season one, he's a monster. You know, he's. But he's he a, went down a in machine. a battle that was epic and well written and needed to happen, and it was almost a redemptive situation for Brienne because there's Arya, what she pledged to do. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. She ended up losing her in the end. But when that scene developed, it was two positives meeting each other. And that's something that's not typical. And that's the reason I really, really, I think most people really, really enjoyed that part. Right. But you understand, too, that I I love the Hound. One of my favorite characters. I don't want to see him gone either. um, The great characters are what holds the show up to me. Not... The characters you want to see that have the the great moments like Sansa or John or Daenerys, those characters, or even Brienne, who I really like, is probably the most good character that I enjoy watching on the show. Most honorable by far. Definitely the most honorable. She's the most like a knight, even though she can't be a knight. Okay. But as far as enjoyment of the show on the screen, it's... It's Tyrion, it's Jamie, it's Braun, it's the Hound. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, all these darker characters, but not so dark where they don't have any good in them. Right, well, these people have a sketchy past. They have things in their past they've done that makes them look down upon by others, you know, but not so much by the viewer. Right, and like I say, I, I won't get down on the show for being bleak until I stop enjoying 
even those characters. All I'm saying is, is the bleakness is so outweighing any positive. And it's been a long time since we've had any positive. Yeah, but I also look at it like things like a positive will be if Tyrion gets to Danany. You know what I mean? If Jorah gets to see Danny, you know, that's a positive. It may not come out the way they want to or whatever the case may be, but like, I feel like that's a goal and they're going to possibly reach it. You know, I feel like if Theon all of a sudden just stabs Ramsay in the back of the head, I mean, you, Theon's a shit, you have no pity for him. But if you were to do that, you would cheer. You know, so some of these things are dragged so low only to give you the biggest payoff. You just set an example. A redemption, you know, a revenge. Theon. Yeah, but nobody's more bleak than Theon. I don't know. There's a lot, you know, Ramsey's pretty bleak too. I mean, he's just a piece of crap. I'm talking about storyline. That's yeah, all involved in Ramsey. No Bottom of the barrel. Theon's definitely on top of that heap. There's no doubt. Anyway, well. Well, let's let's go. Uh, let's go into the next part. The the best and the worst of the episode. Um, I'll go ahead and say worst part: sand snakes and the entire part. Any part they were on screen, I loathed. Yeah, I can disagree with that. I just this is the biggest miss. I don't. I don't think I've been this. It's, it's not disappointing. I guess it's not like the show just is floundering because these actresses can't carry their roles. But since season two, Danny, where are my dragons, Danny? This is the the lowest, like little part of a of an, an episode or a season that I that I've ever come across. I hope I never see him on screen anymore. Well, unfortunately, we're going to obviously, but hopefully, it's short and murderous rage against them. Yeah, no I hope, joke. really. I hope Aria just Aria just drags them into the water grounds and. Battle axes just, them. Uh, yeah. What about the uh, best part? Best part, um, <sighs> you know, if I had to say, the, the best part was the unveiling of the faceless catacombs or giant room that had all the faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was, like I said, that was the dessert at the dinner. Um, it's the first real taste of something that shows you towards a really cool future. It was something mystic, you know, unique, and uh, gave some credibility to what they've been going to. Now, I like that part. Right, right. Um, I really like that scene too, but I don't know. It wasn't like this episode was full of a bunch of standout, awesome fist bumping scenes or anything like that. But I'm really loving Jorah and Tyrion together. And that little scene with the slavers catching them and all that dialogue <laughs> yeah. between Tyrion and cock the, merchant and the cock merchant and, <laughs> you know, and Jorah uh, learning that his father died in that scene. I mean, those two can really pull off some acting subtly and with grace. And I love their dialogue. There's a reason that Tyrion, uh, uh, the actor, is the highest paid on the show. And the first name you know, that is mentioned on the credits. The oh, guy, yeah. Anybody who's dealing with him right now is, like you said, some of the best part of the show. You know, the interaction, the dialogue, the whole nine yards. Yeah. I feel like he raises every actor across from him in the scenes, you know? I mean, in the beginning when he was with John and 
Then he moved to who's all with with Varys and with Jorah and with Bronn especially, you know, any scenes with his dad and Jamie and Cersei. I mean, he just I don't know what it is. Every scene he's in, even the actor opposite him seems to raise their game too, you know. So, yeah, I go with the Tyrion Jorah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think you're on the money. Uh, that's good stuff. Uh, that was definitely one of my good parts there. Um, let's go into some feedback with some of the people. Got some good stuff here. I uh, really appreciate y'all sending this stuff in. Um, the uh, let me make sure I get my notes right here. Um, this is about Richard. I feel the writing this season isn't great. The Sand Snakes are boring, cartoonish at best, and the kingdom in which they live is boring. It seems like uh, something from a daytime soap opera. The production is bad. The lack of people in the kingdom walking around and making it seem like it's a real place. I feel like we just rented a villa in France and stuck a king in a wheelchair there, and the fight last night between the Sand Snakes and Jamie was comedic at best. You agree with old Richard here? I agree with some of the things. I don't like how few people are wandering around. Um, because in the books, the Dornish people are like lavish and really enjoy themselves. And there's always like kids playing in the pools and things like that. I, I do miss that. Um, yeah, that's not something I didn't even think about. You don't see anybody unless they're a character in the show. I mean, when you see Mar- Marcella and uh, the Martell boy uh, walking around, do you do, do you see a few people wandering, but very thin. Um, But, you know, they say the production's low, but those places are gorgeous. I love Dorne visually. Right. Um, And I love, I have no problem with with Dorne or Arya Hota. And obviously I have no problem with Jamie and Bronn. But the Sand Snakes, I'm telling you, I think some people are really jaded by them and they're, they're taking their part and dragging the whole Dorne storyline through the Yeah, it's like that part the is contaminating the whole exactly. storyline. Exactly. It's like a virus and yeah, it's destroying I, I, it. I hear you. I mean, I can tell you right now, out of the 10 or 15 that I've, I've jotted down, I swear 90% of them mentioned at least one part, even if it's a single sentence, how much the Sand Snakes were a huge disappointment. So we're not alone by any means. Um, here's one. This is from Gary. Game of Thrones has become a game of women. Uh, every storyline has become dominated by women. The main men were killed off like flies. The remaining men are all creeps. The writers have to be either women or homosexuals. Also, a straight male writer would never let so many uh, magical opportunities of sweet vengeance slide into a nonsensical, hunchless static. When we thought Santa was getting a knife from her uh, bow dice uh, to OJ both Ramsey and Reek... <laughs> She could have uh, put their heads on a pi- on a pikes kissing. Instead, she was actually undressing. Stupid. Uh, I like Gary. Me and Gary on the same page. Um, this is a however, I like Gary um, for the part where he says the remaining men are creeps and the writers are not doing you know not taking advantage of magical opportunities. Uh, I don't know about all this women homosexual other stuff. That, you know, yeah, that's, that's a bit all, too all much. You, Gary, not me, but yeah, um, the. But like I said, I think they've got a lot of missed opportunities for sweet vengeance, um, and it's like you said, it becomes static of nothing, uh, but nothing but negative creeps remaining creeps, and people you want to see have redemption keep getting punished. Um, I like his little line, you know, pull a knife and OJ them both. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, 
everyone would have been fist bumping if she would have pulled off gutting Ramsey right there. Um, but you know, trust the show to you know give you what you're looking for at some point. You know, I just would you want that right now, or do you want Stannis to get there and the war to start happening, and you know, and Ramsey be dead? Not me personally. I'd personally love to see like Davos and Ramsey fight or something. You know what I mean? I want to see. I'd love to see John and Ramsey fight. The two bastards of Winterfell going at it. Never happened. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying Never it's happened. going to. Yeah, but I'm just keep that wishful thinking. It ain't happening. <laughs> Red T came in and says, "Love the show, guys. Just started listening. Appreciate that." Uh, I disagree. Sansa deserves every punishment that befalls her. In the book, she is the reason her dad gets arrested and his head chopped off. She went crying to Cersei, and she was being taken from King's Landing. Cersei, at this point, had no idea Ned was packing up. Leaving that evening, she moved against Ned, and the rest is history. Sansa inadvertently started the War of the Five Kings. Bro, you're better on this. You agree with this? No, not necessarily. I think this is thin. Well, no, I, I don't think it's thin. Sansa did make a naive mistake and trust a young child would do right, right and trusting joffrey would you know keep his word or or what cersei was spoon feeding her would be true um because even gotta admit cersei was shocked too when joffrey said bring me his head you know um she she did have she played, i think she played a major part obviously but honestly i mean if you try to think back to what started the war Really, it's probably Jamie throwing Bran out of a window. If you go back as far as you can, or no, really, it's Lysa killing John Aaron. You know, at the very beginning. I think there's so many contributing factors that are co- that surmount to one inevitable, uh, you know, inevitable future. You know what I mean? The way the show is set up in the beginning. Yeah, it's just not. It's not United Kingdom. You right. know what I mean? It's it's warring factions, no matter what. Lance says the show has lost something with these wild deviations from the book. Martin wrote complex characters on every side who had the motivations beyond mustache-twisting evil. These HBO writers are not nearly as capable. They are now uh, There are now clear lines of good and evil in the show that have always been gray areas before. It's kind of sad to see a great show fall, but I think it is on the downhill from here. Yeah, see, this is where I totally disagree. I think they've, if anything, improved a lot of the writing um, now, trust me, I'm a huge fan of the books. I really love them. But I think a lot of people, if they tried to read books four and five, would just come through drooling on themselves in, you know, overwritten boredom almost. Right. You know, it's, I think the gray is still there. There's lots of great characters. I think people just, oh, I love this character, so she's a good person. It's like I say, I mean, Arya, yeah, you, I'm, and trust me, I'm one of them. I'm pulling for it. I love her. I want to see her kill everybody on her list. But you got to think, where does that come from? I mean, really, or what is that? It's a, like a 13, 14-year-old girl that's going to be a faceless assassin. Yeah, well, I think we're, people are, like I am are rooting for her to become something to avenge so many wrongs done to her family. And she seems like the only person who has the potential to do that. And so it's like we're just licking our chops for her to get this training and start going around and kill, kill, kill. Even though I know it'll never happen because then the show's over. But that's okay, what but people are hoping for. 
but like we talked about earlier, it's like, okay, so the armies come through and they, you know, good guys win, and then what? Then you have no show, right? Exactly. I mean, so, I'm with you. So I know it only happened, but it would be nice for her to see, get a couple or get one good one, you know, and that'd be a good, you know, at least it gives you enough good taste in your mouth to keep that, you know, keep that salivation for the next one down the road. Yeah, but okay, what what does she do after she kills all the people on their list? Well, she's not going to kill all of them. I, I think she, if she kills one, maybe two, and it's an amazing setup and scene, fulfilling. And then we move on, and then it might be another five, six, another season before we get to something else that's that. But we just hadn't had anything. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know what you're saying. I'm just, I think all, almost all these characters are gray. Right, I'm with you. I, that's why I still love the show. I, I know I'm bad mouthing this episode because a lot of bad stuff happened and some poor this, that, and so on. Uh, but I'm still a diehard. I think the show is fantastic. And oh, I still, yeah. I still think it's the best show on TV. Yeah. Um, Jesse says, guys, listen to your show. Uh, let's try not to analyze every scene and just enjoy the best show on TV. Uh, Jesse, I think you're missing the point of the podcast here. It's the reason we're talking is to analyze the show and <laughs> put our opinions on it so we can share it. Um, you know, I think we're just kind of expressing here. But, uh, hey, appreciate the feedback. Um, Justin says, I think the show is just trying to push the envelope more and more each season and try to come up with a shock factor. Um, wish they would just go back to just good writing and setup and character development until it has a more fulfilling end. Uh, I kind of agree with that. I, I think we have had a lot of shock, a lot of big awe, um, and we've rushed some things, especially this episode. I would go with that. Um, but I see, I can't go with that either because this is a you know this is a reproduction of the books and these things are in there you know you can't blame the show when Sansa is brutally you know basically raped on her wedding night if that's in the books you know it has to be there well, the Sansa part I think they've done a good job of setting up and talking and the characters are built and so on I mean don't get me wrong I don't agree she can handle the situation and I think that's the reason she gets raped and that's kind of proves that point but for the four, the five, six episodes we've had this season, there's been a build-up to it. There's been a setup to it. There's been character developments. There's been multiple big stars involved, and so on. You go over to the Sand Snakes and Dorn. We've had two or three episodes featuring Dorn. They've all been less than a couple minutes long, and we all of a sudden get all these major characters, boom, all within thirty seconds collide, and then they're all done. I mean, there was no setup. There was nothing. There was just. It was so haphazard, so poorly put together, poor casting with these three sand snakes. And so it just shows you the comparison that within the same episode, you have something that's been built up properly, shows how it's been well-written and taken care of, the care and attention done to so much. And you go to the other side, and it's nowhere near the attention to detail, you know, and so much lacking in comparison. And so I think, you know, that's where it hurts me for this, for this episode and some of this season. Yeah, I mean, I can understand where that that's coming from. But I also look at, like, Sansa, like, I'm tired of seeing Sansa as a victim. Like, that's been f- five seasons now of Sansa being a victim. So, I agree, it's done well, and it's, you know, it's leading to an ultimate good thing, I hope. But you want to talk about slow pacing and not paying off. Shit, Sansa's been going at this forever and has, has learned a little bit, obviously, but not enough to, you know, put up a masterful fight of any kind that I could tell. Now, I'll admit the Dorn thing has been rushed and, you know, 
poorly handled on the Sand Snake side, but if they would have drug this out, that just means more time with these terrible Sand Snakes. So yeah. I'd rather make it haphazard, fast, and not as the quality of the rest of the show, but be done with them. You know, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, they need to keep the pace of Dorn, so the sooner we get rid of the Sand Snakes and get that stuff over, the better. Yeah. Um, or maybe they can do something redemptive. Maybe the next episode they're toast or they're not part of it and they really focus on Dorn and we get those characters going and go into it. Um, uh, that's where we're at with that. But uh, I think uh, we're good with that. Do you, uh, you you got any recommendations this week, bro? I do. I got, I got Daredevil on Netflix. I'm only You're a Netflix junkie? I mean, this man. is the third Netflix show you've recommended. Well, I've, I'm really in love with the the binge watch the binge watcher (laughs) Um, well I mean they really just have excellent programming and the fact that they could get with Marvel and create a show that's this it's not super bleak and dark or anything like that but it's violent it's you know it's got some gore um, super realistic the fighting in it is great it's what you want to see you want to see people get tired you don't want to see one punch knockouts these guys get knocked down two and three times and they get back up and they get some punches in. And so it's definitely the realistic version. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so well done. So I look, I'm only two episodes in this thing could totally tank and shit show it up. I gotta be honest with you. I'm concerned. I'm really concerned about Vincent D'Onofrio as the bad guy. No, it doesn't look like he pulls it off from the previous. Do not be concerned. Fantastic. Okay, I'm a, I'll take a kudos. I'll have to give it a look-see. I'm telling you, the fact that Marvel was okay with doing a hard R show gives me lots of hope for movies like Deadpool. Um, I'm hoping Tom Hardy gets his wish and gets to play the Punisher. You know, all these things. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, that's that was a push towards a more adult movie, you know. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think the more realism is what viewers demand today to enjoy it more. You see what gets the biggest markets. Yeah. It's Walking Deads. It's Game of Thrones. It's, you know, it's all these violent, Shock realistic value, shows. but with a good storyline. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in character development. I'm definitely with you there. Um, I'm going to throw a, a recommendation in for a movie. I uh, just went and saw Mad Max Fury Road. Um, if you are a quintessential red-blooded a male American or just a guy who freaking loves action, um, and you don't have to worry about whether or not you speak English or not, this show has zero, and I say almost completely zero dialogue. It is two hours of gasoline nitrous driven heart pumping action start to finish uh, Tom Hardy does a good job you know Charlie Theron in my opinion steals the show the, you know as a heroine um, the bad guy was money the bank one of the best um, bad guys characters that created Miller I call uh, a genius when it comes to these uh, these kind of apocalyptic movies. I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the Road Warrior and Mad Max and Thunderdome not so much, but the that whole series was a complete you know uh, complete entertainment. You know, just visually appealing, great storyline. Didn't have to have a huge you know story, but the way the direction was going was so unique. Uh, the new one doesn't disappoint whatsoever. Um, is Tom Hardy Mel Gibson? No. Um, does he do a good job? Yes. Um, 
Would it have been better if it was Mel Gibson, in my opinion? Yes, but considering the way the, sh- the movie went, it didn't matter. It was fantastic. Charlie Theron is the, you know, uh, makes up that gap. Um, the bad guys and the creative vision and direction and just the absolute uniqueness of how everything was put together for the movie, uh, the visual effects, the stunning, no CGI. Let me tell you, there was some CGI was minimal. You know, you see some of it in the preview, but the rest of the show is diehard stunt men going the extra mile, do things amazing. Um, great vehicle action over the top. Uh, just loved it. I, I think uh, if you want something that's going to make your heart race for two hours, it's worth the ten fifty we have to pay for a movie here. Absolutely. So uh, that's what we got for recommendations this week. But other than that, uh, I think we're going to call it a wrap before we move into our little PG spoiler section, bro. You got anything else before we close it down? Uh, no, just keep sending your feedback to us and uh, hit us up on Twitter uh, at Bleed TV Podcast and Bleed TV Podcast at Gmail dot com. Yeah, guys, keep sending the feedback and hit us with a rating on Stitcher or iTunes or uh, TuneIn Radio. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're going to play some music. Uh, if you want to hang around for a little spoiler section afterward, look forward to it. If not, uh, we're going to call it a day. This is Bleed TV, and I'm Zach. And I'm Jake. See you next time. And we're back. Uh, going right into our spoilers section, I think the first thing we're going to do is break down the preview we had at the end. By the way, I didn't mention earlier was is that, you know, they cut another daggone five minutes off the episode. It was 55 minutes again. Yeah. I'm going to start cussing. You know, but I don't think anybody's listening, but, you know. Um, Only thing know. I'm hoping is maybe this the final two episodes, kind of like last season, are going to be well over an hour. I hope so. You know, that was something I really enjoyed about Walking Dead this past year is they went ahead and added an extra 30 minutes to the season finale, and boom. Wow, what a difference it makes. I hope that HBO adding that extra 10 minutes or whatever they do uh, could really give you some bang for your buck, especially when the pivotal episodes coming up that we're expecting. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty big stuff coming, it seems like, so they're going to need time. Uh, the preview was short too. I don't know if you realize that it was really quick. I can't remember much about it. So you see, uh, goes right to where you see John. Um, oh, Ginger McAngry. What's his name? Um, Ginger McAngry. Yeah, you know, every time you look at him, he's growling. <laughs> Tormund. Uh, Tormund. Yes, Tormund. Uh, look at each other again and got that look of I'm com- I'm constipated. Do you have pills? Um, you know. And it goes right into where they're leaving together. And, you know, Alistair is, you know, like, I think this is a poor decision. You're portraying your men, um, you know. Uh, and then he looks at Sam and says, all your friends are leaving. You're running uh, out of friends, This yeah. is, uh, you know, for – this is not what I expected because, you know, John made him, you know, first ranger. And you saw him kind of change his tune and have respect for John. And then, sure enough, as soon as he's leaving, he's like he's – relishing that he's leaving and getting the opportunity to badmouth his decision you know yeah but i do look at this as possibly a a flip that the preview showing you a little something but maybe alistair's not really going against him but more or less just filling sam in like hey you know it's not me you got to worry about or something you know what i mean i just for all you know that dialogue is him talking to him privately he could be talking to john 
even right, that's what the, I th- you know, my I mean, mind, he could be just talking to John privately and not even nobody else around and saying the decision you're making as a first ranger. I'm telling you, this is a very stupid decision. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you got to understand when he when he gave that announcement that he was going to go to hard home and try to get these wildings across the side of the wall. You know, obviously there was a lot of people pissed off at him. You know, they're just oh, continuing yeah. that plot basically. There's no doubt. Uh, Stennis tells Davos that, hey, we are marching to victory or we're marching to uh, defeat. Demise. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's time, you know. And you notice the winter, the you, the visuals. You see snow coming down more and more yeah, and more. Cold breath. Uh, and- you know, it even has a quick flash of Ramsey and his hair is completely covered in snow. And um, so I guess winter has finally arrived, you know, about mm-hmm. damn time, <laughs> you know. Uh, I hope something else comes with it, you know. Um, I know one of my feedbacks I didn't read. They were talking about how the winter is moving at a glacier's pace. It's time for it to unleash. Um, so there's no doubt about that. Um, then it goes to um, Sansa, and she—I swear—it looks like she's holding Theon by the head and talking to him softly. You know, like I still have friends, and I still have friends here in Winterfell. Well, it's and it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's like she's she is like holding him or something like that, and saying, "We still have friends in the north." And the key word there, we. You yeah. Know? And so that makes me think that this next episode, um, something changes. Theon becomes a you know an ally, not something that's despised or something's got to. I don't know. We're going to see the turn of the tide. That's what it looks like. I think Theon probably tells her that he didn't kill her brothers. If she were to find that out, I think she would lighten up on him a little bit. Maybe. Maybe, you know. uh, maybe not. I don't know. Something's got to give. Maybe she realizes the only chance she has of getting out of this nightmare is with his help. Yeah, maybe manipulating him. Right, you know? exactly. You know, This is her... If you make him the goat, you know, hey, you got to protect me. You've got to kill him. You know, do what you were meant to do and protect me and save me and make him the goat, you know. Yeah. And then that puts her in power, you know. So I, I, that's possible. Um, and then you see some, like, uh, some fighting. You don't see who's fighting. You just see a soldier kind of defending himself, getting hit with a shield, different things. And then all of a sudden you see Tyrion kind of look up, like, in shock. And then it flashes away. Um I went back and I rewinded it again, and I did not see... All you could see is part of an arm and a sword swinging. I'm predicting that was Jorah fighting somebody, um, but it doesn't give you enough. It just is a real quick flash, and then you see Tyrion look up and, and, and you know, being surprised. Yeah, I don't even remember that part, so... It no was idea. really fast. I, had, I paused one second, you know, and so my estimation was is that this is the first taste of Jorah fighting as kind of like, a, let's see if your old man is telling the truth or not. Right, you know right. I mean? And Tyrion is working his magic or doing something. I don't know. I gotcha. um, Then you see the High Sparrow speaks to the, uh, you know, Marjorie's grandmother, the Queen of Thorns, and uh, and he he says. Uh, you know, as you, he says, you know, gods demand justice. And at the same time he says that you see Marjorie all dirty, filthy in a, in a prison cell, you know, on the floor, there looks to be chains on her, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is one of the big parts I'm looking forward to because I can't wait to see the old, um, thorns, you know, 
she's got to have an ace in the hole. She's got to, she's going to have something that's going to fix this. Like she fixed the Joffrey problem. Right. You know, there's a reason she has that title. There's a reason she's as powerful as she is, you know? And so I think she's got something in her hand and I think it's going to be pretty damn impressive, whatever she does. You, you see her in that jail cell. She's kind of smiling. You know, she's crawling through the dirt, you know, and you see her coming to the light a little bit, and she does. She looks dingy, but she's kind of smiling. I don't know. Who's uh, she smiling at? <coughs> you know? Like I said, I think, I think we're going to get some real satisfaction. I think Cersei might have done her last act of manipulation, betrayal. Um, I'm bad, you know, bad queen. I think we might have a turn of the tide. Now, and that's the case. I'm licking my chops. Yeah. <laughs> licking my chops. So um, I'm looking forward to that. But that was in the preview. You know, like I said, it was short and sweet. Um, tell us the book comparisons. What, 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 what are we looking at differently here from this episode to the book? I know you already told me several parts are, of course, not in the book, but the parts that did, did you compare, what do you got? Yeah, I'll run through these quick because I know we're running kind of long. But um, Okay, and Dorne, you... You don't have Jamie and Braun, obviously. You have Ares Oakheart, who's a King's Guard, okay? And he is there for the same thing. He's he's sent on a Actually he he's there to protect Marcella. He was sent with her when she was originally sent. It's like her protection, okay? And while she's the, while she, you know, while she's there and he's there, he falls in love with one of the Martell women, okay? She's been cut from the show and replaced with um, the mistress. Um, dang it, I can't believe I can't remember her name. But the one that's rallying up the, the Sand Snakes. All right. She she took her part, and Oakheart, you know, falls in love with her, and, and she's manipulating him to basically to get Marcella for her and her deeds and stuff like that okay. I'm not going to tell you the rest of it because I don't know how far they're going to go into the story so. yeah, don't spoil it for me mate. Yeah. Um, let's see Jorah they are captured by slaves but they're on a boat actually when it happens and a slave ship comes up next to them and they like board it or whatever Jorah's in full armor like he sees it coming goes down gets in his full plate and fights his ass off when they first get on there. Oh, now I'm pissed. Yeah. Um, but they beat the shit out of him, you know, once they overwhelm him and stuff. And they lock him in a cage like a bear or whatever like that. And that's why they call him the bear sometimes in the book. And he's locked up. He's got these whippings all over him and stuff like that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they may have tattooed his face to say he was an unruly slave. Okay. Um... And they get auctioned off in a slave auction together. So that's a little different too, obviously. Um, King's Landing, Marjorie. In the books, she's not locked up for lying about Loras. She's locked up because of her claims of virginity. She's locked up because she's been basically married a couple other times. Not really with Joffrey. He died on their wedding day, but... Basically, with Renly was the main deal that they're claiming that she had sex with Renly and was no longer a virgin, and that she's and you kind of see how flirty and stuff like that, and how she talks to Sansa when they first met 
about boys and stuff like so Cersei's putting it out there that she's not a virgin and that she gets around and that you know that's why she gets locked up and has to defend her chastity basically that's her huh yeah I'm happy they didn't go that direction well it's it's done really well in the books okay but there's like I said to change it there was what Cersei ends up doing is she sends one of her Kingsguard who is like an up jump you know piece of shit night you know like all their brothers all right they're called the kettle blacks and she sends the best looking one to tempt her and he's supposed to be like spying back and forth and he's hoping that she'll make a move right and they'll sleep together and then get busted in the middle of it so all that stuff is going on all that subterfuge is going on and stuff like that and that's why marjorie gets pulled in it's actually done really well in the books, but to do it in the show, like I said, you would have to bring in four to five more characters. It's just not worth it. Yeah, not not really feasible. And then the worst thing ever is uh, in Winterfell. All right, remember I told you last time about it's not Sansa at Winterfell? Yeah, it's uh, a Jane Poole. Like some pool girl. Yeah, Jane Poole. Okay. Same thing happens on the wedding night. Yeah, she comes up to the room. Um, Ramsey comes up there, forces Reek to stay, but not to watch. He forces Theon to be his fluffer, basically, and go in there and tear her clothes off, shave her, uh, basically prep her for Ramsey. He has to go down on her and fondle her, all kinds of stuff, before, before Ramsey takes over. Oh so, my gosh, if they would have like... gone total darkness in the show, it really would have been bad. So, yeah, that wasn't, a, yeah, no. <laughs> HBO's got, uh, they have a bit of pretty standard. far, but not that far. Yeah, so as bad as it was on the show, uh, it could have been way worse. And, yeah, uh, um, that's really all the differences. I got okay, so. well, that, that's all right. I mean, yeah, no, I'm not, that's good that I didn't go that route. You yeah, because it was already yeah. tough. Like I said, the imagination and the hearing was enough. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, you know, oh. it was brutal, but tastefully brutal. But you know, I don't think even if Ramsey demanded Theon to do it, I don't think the way they've set him up as his character and his pet that he could have done that. It wouldn't have been realistic to me. I mean, it's a it, it's a lot to swallow. That's for sure. You know, it's just no pun intended, huh? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, that's terrible. No, I'm yeah. Happy didn't go that direction, so yeah, we're good with that. Um, you know, that's not too much. I mean, I think that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty pretty slight. I mean, there's some stuff I could go into, but I'm not gonna. We're not gonna go into crazy spoilers here, so yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But that's all I got. Well, good, good, man. Well, good. Well, I was going. You know, I I think uh, I've beaten this episode up enough, and yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm looking forward to the next one. Still love the show. Diehard fan. Um, love casting about it. Wouldn't change a thing. Um, hoping, and, you know, now I'm looking forward to the next episode even more, considering that, you know, I had a little bit of displeasure with this one. So we'll see how it goes. But, Joe, uh, I'm going to call that a, a wrap. And, guys, it's always a pleasure. Remember, don't forget to hit us at uh, Ad Play TV uh, Podcast. And Bleed TV Podcast at Gmail. We're really looking forward to some more feedback. Love the guys who have sent stuff in. Um, and we're going to hit you up again next week. But if that's it, uh, call today, man. Yeah, man. Y'all take it easy. See you. Bye.